0: Now, as I said last time, if you were to ask me, Jeff, what is the number one need in the church today? I would not hesitate to tell you it is to develop a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. And I'm going to talk to you about that again today. I'm going to show you an area where the church, a lot of the church has not developed a biblical worldview because how do you get one? Well, you get a biblical worldview by being in the Bible and accepting the Bible as your truth and as the shaper of the way you view the world. And so we're going to look today, I'm calling this Satan is Real. Now, I have a reason for preaching on this, and it's not Halloween. All right? Whether, whatever time of year it happened to be, I would still bring this word. But I want to talk to you about the reality of spiritual warfare, and part of a biblical worldview is to understand that we're in a, a, a conflict, a battle, they will never end till Christ comes with real forces of darkness. Thank God Jesus has defeated them, but we're still in a battle. And so let me read a very familiar portion of scripture Ephesians 6 verse 12, and I want you to listen to these words because these are words of reality. Okay? For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Everybody say creepy. We're battling persons without bodies, personalities without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. Now God's over it. He's sovereign over all of it. The devil's a dog on a leash. But he has allowed the enemy, the devil, to be prince of this world, the God, little g, of this world, the Bible also calls him. Great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. That couldn't be more plain. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for the word of the living God. And Lord, how we need a biblical worldview if we're going to really change the culture. If we're going to impact this world for Jesus, we've got to have a biblical worldview. Help us, Lord, to think like the Bible, to see the world through the lens of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on this today. Now, would you uh, breathe a prayer, dear saints of God, and say, Lord, today, expand my worldview to become more biblical in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. Amen. You can be seated. Now, we have been talking the last few weeks about the importance of a worldview. I can't tell you how important it is that we develop a biblical worldview. Now, a worldview is simple to remember this. A worldview is how you view the world. Everybody views the world through a lens. And the lens is your worldview. Now, you can either have a worldly worldview that is shaped by the values and the beliefs of this world, and even though you're born again, it's very possible for a born-again Christian to never develop a biblical worldview because they don't spend enough time in the Bible. I think think the the great weakness in the church today is is, uh, Christians don't know the Word of God like they should, and the reason that they don't is because a lot of pastors are not preaching the Word of God. They're giving motivational seminars. We need to hear the word of God. And I want to say to pastors, I love pastors. And pastors, let me tell you, the day has come to put away these motivational seminars. Uh, telling people, you, you got it going on, girl. You're, you're, you got it. Uh, you're all that in a bag of chips. Go out and be successful and make a million dollars. We need to get off of that. We've got to get back to the word of God. The word of God. And, and the more, and, and pastor, I'm talking to myself, not just you. But pastor, hear me, the more we preach and teach the word of God, the more our people will have a biblical worldview. And the more they have that, the more Satan will be defeated by the church, by Jesus in the church. So a little exhortation there, a little encouragement. And again, I'm also talking to this guy standing behind the pulpit. You either have today a worldly worldview shaped by the values and beliefs of the culture, Or you have a biblical worldview shaped by the values and beliefs presented in the Bible. Your victory depends on this. Your victory over the flesh and the world and the devil depends on this. Because the more we think like the Bible, which is to think like God, which is to think like Jesus, the more we will see people through the eyes of Jesus. uh, Our country through the eyes of Jesus. The important issues of life, like why am I here? Where did the universe come from? These are the hot button issues that every worldview has got to answer. What is the meaning of life? Don't you know our culture is dying to know that? Don't you know the young people in schools want to hear what the real meaning of life is because they're all being told they came from some ancient pool or sea of water that some single-celled amoeba crawled out of and everything came from that? So you are a cosmic mistake and not an intentional, designed, made, created person. What is the meaning of life? Your worldview answers that. Is God real? If so, how do I relate to him? Who decides what is right and wrong? Does the culture tell me what's right and wrong morally, ethically? I hope not. Who who informs our sense of what's right and wrong? The Bible does. God does through His Word. Is there life after death? Huge question. Do we just go back to the dust and that's all there is? Or is there something after life? Do we go on? Are we really eternal? Do we have a soul that never dies? Your worldview answers that. In the past few weeks, we've talked about several components of a biblical worldview. First, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's a biblical worldview. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Second, absolute truth does exist. Moral truth, ethical truth, eternal truth, theological truth, God truth. It absolutely exists and it absolutely never changes for any culture or any person. It doesn't change and flex and adapt to make us happy. No, absolute truth is a pillar that never changes. The third biblical worldview component is God made everything. God made everything. God made everything and God made you and he made me. Amen. Now, today I want to talk to you about a fourth key component to a biblical worldview. And here it is, the reality of Satan and spiritual warfare. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, we all know the devil's real. Well, listen to this. A new poll taken by the Barna Research Company of 1,002 professing Christians conducted just a couple of months ago revealed that 40% of those polled. Now, these are people who said, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe he's the son of God. Watch this. 40% of those polled believe that Satan is not a real being, but he's just a symbol of evil. He's a metaphor. He's an illustration, but he's not real. He's not a real personality. Almost half of professing Christians polled did not believe Satan is real. He's a figment. He's a myth. He's a fable. He's something made up, uh, just a type or a symbol of evil. But he's not a real personality walking around. Oh, no. But is that what we just read in the Bible? This reveals that almost half the American church does not have a biblical worldview regarding Satan and the reality of spiritual warfare. But I give you this question. If we don't know, if we don't believe that we've got an enemy, how are we ever going to win a battle? You've got to know your enemy to be able to defeat your enemy. You've got to know the way he thinks, the way he moves, the way he operates, his modus operandi. You've got to know that if you're going to defeat him. But how can you defeat him if you don't even believe he's there? See, I want to suggest to you, that one of Satan's biggest lies is I'm not real. The Bible is crystal clear on the reality of Satan. I don't want to preach Satan up. I'm going to preach him down and preach Jesus up. But I want to tell you the biblical truth about the devil. In the book of Genesis, we first encounter the devil in the Garden of Eden. He shows up after God created the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, Satan showed up and he appeared, as you know, to tempt Eve and he disguised himself as a serpent. He was not a serpent, he used a serpent. He disguised himself in the body of a serpent. We're told that Eve is hoodwinked by the devil's lies and falls into deception. She eats of the one tree God forbade the first couple from touching, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then Adam ate, ate. And when Adam ate, sin entered the entire human race, and sin wrought havoc on God's creation as soon as it entered through Adam because he was the head of the human race. God soon shows up, and he dispenses judgments on all three of the players involved. Adam gets judgments, Eve gets judgments, and the devil got a judgment. i want to read you what God said to the devil. Turning to Satan, God said, because you have done this, I will put enmity, that means constant hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed, watch this carefully, and her, look at the word seed, capital S, between your seed, the satanic seed, the fallen seed, and her seed, capital S, you have a hint there that God is talking about something divine, someone eternal. He, notice capital H, will bruise your head, devil, and you will bruise his heel. This verse has sometimes been called the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. It's easy to remember Genesis 3.15, John 3.16. It's called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament because it's the Bible's very first prophecy, and it is messianic. It contains a promise from God immediately following the fall of man into sin. It contains the promise of God that he's going to send a redeemer, a deliverer, a savior and it's tucked away right there in the ancient Garden of Eden, the first prophecy God ever uttered to the human race, this is it, and he promises the coming of Jesus. And you know what? It's also a declaration of war against Satan. One of Eve's descendants, catch this, the Lord Jesus Christ, capital S, capital H, the Lord Jesus Christ would deal a death blow to Satan's head. How do you kill a snake? You cut its head off. While he in turn would bruise Christ's heel, which amazingly happened at the cross when they put a spike through his feet. Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled at the cross. Jesus bruised the devil's head by shedding his innocent blood. And the devil bruised his heel by orchestrating the crucifixion and the murder of him. And they did it by putting a spike through his heel. Just like God said in Genesis 3.15, the the Bible is amazing. So starting all the way back to the ancient Garden of Eden, we see that Satan is real. He's not a myth or a fable or some some made-up creature running around in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork and horns. No, he was a real personality, a real being who used the disguise of the body of a snake to attack Eve. He was crafty. He was intelligent. He was verbose. He was persuasive in his approach. And he was evil through and through. His intent was to destroy the crowning glory of God's creation, man and woman. And by doing that, destroy the whole creation. Because Satan is opposed. He is at enmity with God. Satan's enemy is God, and God's enemy is Satan. Scripture is very clear about Satan's sordid history. We learn that his name used to be Lucifer, which means morning star, or bearer or, or a bearer of the morning. We learn that the very first sin to darken God's universe was not committed by Adam and Eve. They were not the ones who did the first sin. The first sin was committed by Satan, and his sin was pride. Pride is the spawner and the birther of every other sin. Ezekiel 28 describes the devil before his fall when he was Lucifer. Ezekiel says, You were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I appointed you to be the anointed guardian angel, the anointed cherub. So we're told right here that Satan, when he was Lucifer, was one of the great archangels Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. So he had tremendous power, and Ezekiel lets us know he had tremendous beauty. And looking at his beauty and being aware of his beauty, he was lifted up with pride. And so Isaiah tells us, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, for you have said in your heart, here was the sin of pride, here was the first sin to enter the universe, Satan said, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will be like the most high. Do you get it? When he was Lucifer, he literally decided to overthrow God. This was mutiny in the heavens. But God responded to his mutiny with these words, but instead you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to its lowest depths, and he was. The Bible also adds that when Satan rebelled, he drew a third of the angels with him when God cast him out of heaven. I want you to catch that. That's very important. He didn't go alone. Rebels never like to go alone. And he didn't want to go alone, so with his incredible beauty and persuasive power, he was able to persuade a third of the angels to defect with him. John the Revelator writes, his tale, talking about the devil, comparing him to a dragon, swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. The word stars here in the Greek, asteros, and it can mean messengers. He's talking about he swept away one-third of the angels in the sky. It goes on in verse 9, Revelation 12. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. End quote. John saw it. He saw the rebellion. And he saw how God cast them down. And these fallen angels, the, the third that followed him, became the demons that Jesus regularly confronted in the New Testament. And the demons that you and I do battle with regularly. You can't see them, it doesn't matter. God's invisible, but he's real. The wind is invisible, but it's real. Satan can't be seen, but he's real. The demons can't be seen, but they're real. Angels can't be seen, but they are real. Just because something invisible is invisible doesn't mean it's not real. As a matter of fact, The things that are invisible are the things that are going to last forever, and the things that are visible are what is going to perish and fade away. It's interesting to me, I've often thought about this, when you read the Old Testament, you don't ever see, you hardly ever see, the mention of demons or the devil. Every once in a while, one of the prophets will talk about it in... um, Talking about uh, pagan worship and so on and so forth, and demons might be mentioned. But on the whole, you don't hear about demons and the devil much in the Old Testament. But as soon as the seed, capital S, Jesus Christ, mentioned in Genesis 3.15, as soon as he appears on the earth, he is confronted immediately by the devil. You remember how the devil inspired Herod to wipe out all the children two years old and under, all the male children, and there was a slaughter, Rachel, weeping for her children because they are not. He tried taking Christ out when he was a baby, but when Jesus went down to the river to be baptized by John, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and the Bible says a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And right then, Jesus immediately went into the wilderness. And when he went into the wilderness, he was confronted immediately by the devil. The same devil that confronted Eve confronted Jesus in the wilderness. It says the tempter came to him. Now, in the subsequent showdown in the desert between the devil and Christ, Jesus successfully defeated three major temptations. It then says, watch this, the devil departed from him until an opportune time. That tells us something. The battle wasn't over between Christ and the devil. Satan would be the Lord's constant opponent day in and day out until Jesus died on the cross, which dealt the fatal blow to Satan's head, just like Genesis 3.15 predicted. But he left him till an opportune time. The devil left him until he could look for an opening, look for a, a vulnerable moment, and the devil would attack him again And again, and again, throughout his ministry, the devil constantly attacked Jesus. There was a battle, the enmity that God had predicted in Genesis 3.15. I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and your seed, Satan. I'm going to put enmity. There's going to be an ongoing battle. The Bible says that Jesus Christ made it his business to destroy Satan's works everywhere he went once he entered into his ministry. The book of Acts says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all. Watch this. Healing all who were under the power of the devil. Not under the power of a myth or a fable or an idea or some made up person, but they were under the power of the devil and Jesus set them free. The apostle John sums up Jesus' purpose like this. The son of God came Why? To destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. Aren't you glad Jesus came? To break your chains? To set you free? Free on the inside? Free indeed? Jesus said if the Son makes you free, S-O-N, makes you free, you're gonna be free indeed. And so Jesus, anointed by God, went around everywhere doing good, healing people that were under the power of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil everywhere he went. That's why he came. You know, Christmas time, we look at the little baby in a manger and we sing our Christmas carols, and most people don't realize when Jesus was born, a warrior was born. A warrior was born. Uh, uh, the, The Son of God came to this earth to do battle with our arch foe with a creature trying to destroy every human being on the planet. He came to wage war with him and defeat him and win the war and set us free. Oh, I wish I could tell the whole world. You're not going to get your freedom from Buddha. You're not going to get it from Muhammad. You're not going to get it from hugging a tree. You're not going to get it by never getting a traffic ticket and being a good person. You will only be set free by the one who alone has the power to set you free. And his name is Jesus. He destroyed the most lethal of Satan's weapons against us. Here's the big one. Jesus destroyed death. Because God's children, I'm reading out of Hebrews, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of, of the devil. I'm going to quote that again. Only by dying on the cross could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The devil had the power of death. But when Jesus died on the cross and spilled his innocent blood, the devil had orchestrated the murder of an innocent man. And when Jesus' blood ran down that tree, the Bible says it broke the power of death. It took the key of death out of Satan's hands. And the Bible goes on to say, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Wow. Jesus destroyed death. So if you believe, he said, whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father, but through me. Though you die, yet shall you live if you place your faith in him. Because the day is coming when a trumpet is going to blow. A trumpet unlike any trumpet we have ever heard. And it says, The dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What's he telling us? That even though you go into the grave, you're coming out because Jesus broke the power of death, and he set us free from the fear of it because there is no fear of it when you know he's gone to prepare a place for us. And if he went to prepare a place for us, he's coming again to receive us unto himself. Oh, death. Oh, death where is your sting? And oh, grave, where is your victory? Amen. Come on, everybody. Give the Lord a hand of praise. The second biggie that Jesus took care of was he took care of Satan's power over those who turned to him for salvation. He destroyed Satan's power he went about everywhere doing good, healing those that were oppressed by the devil. He delivered us from death, and he delivered us from Satan's power. Listen to Colossians 1.13. God rescued us from the dark power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Before you and I were saved, we were under the power of Satan. Satan, whatever Satan wanted us to do, we did. Uh, he's a hard taskmaster. He's a cruel taskmaster. Remember where you were, how you were living, what condition you were in when Jesus saved your soul. I would wager the condition you're in now is far better than it was then because Satan had spent his time and his effort to destroy your mind and destroy your body and destroy your soul. But then Jesus showed up. And when you said, Jesus, forgive me, then right then and there, you were delivered from the irresistible power of Satan and you were translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. So that now you don't have to do what sin tells you to do. You don't have to do what the devil tells you to do because he has been defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, a third thing. He destroyed his, our old sinful nature by crucifying it with him on the cross. How many of you realize that you were your own worst enemy? How many of you have ever looked in the mirror and said, how could you have done that? What were you thinking? Anybody ever done that? What were you thinking? You know why? Because when we were born, we were born with Adam's fallen nature. But the Bible says something powerful. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took that old sinful nature that constantly uh, uh, moved us and prompted us to sin. And he crucified it with him on the cross. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So Jesus took my old nature, your old nature, and we were crucified with him on the cross. And last time I checked, anything crucified died. So our old sinful nature died and we're to live in that truth and in that reality. Jesus destroyed the great enemies that were against us. He didn't come to do battle with a myth or a symbol or, an, uh, uh, or a fairy tale. Jesus came to do battle with a real being, and if you've got a biblical worldview, you're not walking around going, well, Satan's just an illustration of evil. No, you're you're knowing that, that he's real, and even though Jesus has defeated him, we're still at war with him until Christ comes, but thank God Jesus has given us the victory over him, and we are not to be overcome, but we are to be overcomers. Amen? Now, that brings us to why it's so important that we hold a biblical worldview regarding the devil. The Bible teaches that since our Savior is at war with Satan, so are we, his children. If you don't believe your enemy is real, again, I ask you, how will you ever win your battles with evil? If you don't know your enemy is real. Paul the Apostle said that all Christians have got to deal with the strategies and the tricks of Satan. It says we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. I'm reading it again. But against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great princes of darkness who rule this world, and huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. That's who we're doing battle with each and every day. The truth is that we've got an enemy that opposes and attacks God's children at every turn. He does all he can to hinder your walk. He'll do anything he can to trip you up. As he left Jesus till an opportune time, he waits for an opportune time with you and me. He'll distract you away from Christ. He'll throw up roadblocks to stop your progress. When you're moving forward, carrying the kingdom of God, and you're ministering Jesus, and you're living for him, and you're bearing fruit to the glory of God, the fruit of the Spirit, I can guarantee you that you're going to have the enemy throwing roadblocks up, to hinder your walk and to try to stop you. Again, I'm not lifting him up, but I'm exposing him. I want you to understand, some of you are frustrated with people, and it's not people that are your problem. You've got an enemy that's trying to stop you, trying to roadblock you. Listen to what Paul said. I often plan to come to you. He's telling the Romans. I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I might have some fruit among you. Notice, when Apostle Paul visited you as a believer, uh, uh, you always flourished because of it. Because he gave, he he, he prayed spiritual gifts on you. He, he blessed you. He taught you. You grew in him, grew in Christ. And notice, he said, I'm, Romans, I've tried to get to you. I've tried to come to you, but I've been hindered. I wanted to bring some fruit for you, to to bring some fruit out of you, but but I've been hindered. And he told the Thessalonians who was doing the hindering. He said, therefore, we wanted to come to you as well. But I, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. I wanted to get to you. I wanted to visit you. I can't tell you how many times I've been working on a message. And the, the devil will try everything to hinder me, to distract me. To, to, to block the path of meeting, getting the word of God for you because he knows if you receive the word of God, you're going to grow by it. See, I think Satan's most active work right now is in the church, not the world. The tares are growing up right next to the wheat. Deceivers are everywhere. Satan's trying to block the growth of God's people. The word hindered comes from a Greek word meaning put an obstacle in our way like a roadblock. It's telling us Satan will roadblock you. You ever been going down? I was riding my bike one day. I cycle all the time. I love it. It's my hobby. And I'm booking down this trail in the woods, and I'm going at a pretty good pace. And all of a sudden, there is this big tree that has been knocked down by a storm that I didn't know was there. And I had to immediately break and almost ran into it, which would have flipped me, which would not have been good. And the thing fell across the whole road. So that I had to pick up my bike and, and try my best to step over this huge tree. That's a picture of what the devil does. You're booking down in the road of life. And the devil puts a roadblock in front of you to stop your progress. So that those you're headed to don't get blessed. Or so that you don't fulfill God's will. He tempts the Christian. It is Satan who dangles the bait to lure us into compromise with the flesh. Look at this. He dangles it. He's a fisherman. I used to bass fish all the time. And a bass fisherman is a good deceiver because it's your job to make that bait look real. So I learned to pull it and let it sink and wiggle it and move it and make it look real because I'm trying to convince the fish that what is fake is real and that what isn't dangerous or that what is dangerous isn't dangerous. And I got real good at convincing the bass that it was real. And I would catch them and bring them into my boat. And I won't tell you what happened then. (laughs) And see, the devil wants to get you into his boat. And he wants to fillet you. He wants to ruin you. And so he'll throw and dangle bait in front of your eye. And make you think that it's good for you. Make you think that it's going to help you and bless you and advance you and fulfill you. But he knows the whole time there's a hook in it. And when he catches you, you're going into his boat. And he doesn't have a good plan for your life after that. Devil does all he can to discourage us, convince us there's no use in following Christ. Give up. He's not hearing you. He's not answering you. He'll lie to you about God like he did Eve. Using his famous one liner has God said, but the good news is a very real devil has been defeated by a very real savior amen i 'm going to say that again. The good news is a very real devil has been defeated by a very real savior. Listen to what the Bible says. You Christians, we all together, we are more than conquerors for him that loved us. He always leads us in triumph in Christ, second corinthians two fourteen Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. We've got the victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus shed blood, brought Satan's ruin. Amen? His blood, Jesus' blood, was the ruin of the devil. And I want you to stand with me as I read these last two verses. Colossians 2, verse 13 says, God took away Satan's power. I love that. Let's say that together. God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Because your sins were all taken away, what can the devil accuse you of? Because your sins have been taken all away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So on the cross, Jesus defanged the devil. He took out of his claws the key to death. He took them away and, and he set you and I free from the devil's power. Can we lift our hands to the Lord and thank him for all that he's done for you and me? Thank you, Jesus, that the devil's a defeated foe. He's a real foe, but he's a defeated foe. Now, Lord, we don't want to have an unbiblical worldview and and chalk him up to just some idea or an illustration of evil, or a symbol. No, no, no. Lord, we know we have a real enemy who really does try to destroy us. But we also have a real Savior who totally defeated him. Now, Lord, thank you for giving us a biblical worldview about the reality of spiritual warfare. If you know warfare is real and Jesus has defeated him, give the Lord a wave offering today to say, Jesus, thank you thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves in front of you because right now, Lord, we're looking at a very real devil wreak havoc across our nation. We're looking at a very real devil attacking this country and all the countries of the world, really. We're looking at a very real devil doing his best to take people into hell before they have a chance to be saved. We see the God of this world blinding the eyes of unbelievers. We see it, Lord. And we're asking you today to intervene for the United States of America, that, Lord, you would not let us go down the tube. Don't let us, Lord, die as a nation, fade into oblivion. Don't let us wilt into weakness and insufficiency and lose the blessing you put on this country. We pray that, Lord, you will send a great move of your spirit against this flood tide of satanic activity. We thank you, Lord, that one move of your finger, one breath from your mouth can change everything. We're asking you, Lord, to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us. Can we say together, church, have mercy on us, Lord. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the hour of need. Have mercy on us, Lord, and let us find that grace we need in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise.